Log Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Pastor of New Wine Ministries. We've got quite a broadcast lined up today. I believe it's very prophetic, and I believe that God has some very, um, very strong things to say. But praise God, it all depends on what side of the day you and I are on that will determine the outcome of the moment in which we live. Let me say that again. Depending on what side of the day we are living in will determine the outcome of how things go. And the prophet Isaiah did cry out, and he said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness would cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen on you. So the prophet Isaiah declares that a day is coming. It is a day of darkness and a day of light. And it, it, the gray area, the, 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 the middle part is completely eradicated. There is no gray zone. It is either light or darkness, and you and I choose what side of the day we're going to live in. And you and I have chosen, I hope and believe, to live in the light, which is Christ Jesus, who is the light of the world. We are living in an atmosphere right now where the gross darkness is descending all over the world. The God of this world is blinding the minds of the masses, and the masses are having a very difficult time pressing into the light. Now, something very interesting about that is some of what we're going to talk about today, and of course, I want to just say good morning. Uh, very something unusual is happening on the uh, 
on the Blog Talk Radio. So I'm just watching that right now, which is fine. Uh, we're going to spend quality time talking about something, again, I believe is very prophetic and I believe is important and um, maybe a little bit frightening to hear, but the Word of God is not designed to be a, um, uh, a movie theater show, a drama, you know, fear-mongering. Um, the Word of God is very clear when it points out things that have been, will be, are, and things that are coming. So I want to get into those things. Again, what side of the day do you live on? Are you in the light of Jesus Christ? Are you in the gospel? Are you in grace? Or are you in the darkness? Because, again, the darkness is descending more so than probably any time in the history of the world. And that's exactly what the Bible says would happen in the last days, that the devil would deceive the whole world. And I want you to just don't let that just go by. Capture that. That's a scripture in the book of Revelation. The devil who deceives the whole world particularly those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So the only light, the only knowledge, the only wisdom, the only truth that we're counting on is Jesus and nothing else. The Bible, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, we believe. And so this is our wisdom. This is our knowledge. This is our insight. This is the revelation, the unfolding, the unveiling of things that are going on in the world today. And so with that being said, we choose the day of light. That's the right side of the day beyond. Uh, the light side is the right side, no doubt about it. So we're going to talk about something, and I, and I want to tell you exactly how this came about, exactly how this came about. And it was happened about a week ago, and I had shared a dream and again, I don't put a lot of stock in dreams, except when they're a particular kind. And this particular dream is not leaving, and it was filled with color. And it had to do with um, something tragic happened at a massive grocery store and a black horse on a phone. And so obviously, I thought, well, the black horse of Revelation chapter uh, 6, uh, the third horse that rides, talks about an uh, economic imbalance. It talks about soaring food prices, uh, a measure of wheat for a penny, which we'll get into in a little bit. But understand that a penny back then was different than a penny today. You know, we think of a penny today and a measure of wheat. Gosh, the measure of wheat, you're getting a lot. But a penny back then when that was written was a day's wages, and three measures of wheat, okay, or, or three measures of barley or a measure of wheat, um, you know, that wasn't a lot. So it was a day's wage just for a little bit of wheat or barley. And so we need to understand that. That's it's critical to our thinking. And so that black horse did talk about that. So the Lord told me this morning, I was up rather early this morning and just sitting by the fireplace and praying and had the word open. And it was as though God was just saying to me, go deeper. You know, you're, you're looking at the wrong thing. And because I was doing a lot of studying, I was in the book of Ezekiel, chapter one. I was looking at Zechariah, chapter six. I was looking at these horses and, you know, trying to put the pictures together, the four living creatures. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. So I did what I believed. I went deeper. 
and I started getting encyclopedias out. I came downstairs. I got on the Internet. I got some articles that I want to share. But um, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Now, I want to say this right up front, that what we're going to talk about, there is an answer to it. There is an answer for you and I today. So keep that in mind. Don't get, you know, weirded out by what we're going to hear. But I believe this is very pointed. I believe this is very Holy Spirit-led. You be the judge. You know, right now you put on the mind of Christ. You cover yourself in the righteousness of, of Christ himself. Put on his righteousness, not your own. Uh, that'll help you to see clearly, think clearly, understand clearly. If you're operating out of an, a sense of your own right and wrong, you're never going to see clearly. So right now, by faith, put on the gift of God, which is righteousness, so you stand uncondemned before the very throne of the living God. That's really important. And so with that being said, I want to get into it one more time. And what did God say? Well, in the book of Revelation, that we have this Revelation chapter 6. And if you turn there with me just for a moment... Uh, based on the dream about a bewilderment, a, a catastrophe at a, at a supermarket, massive food and people sitting in the parking lot and bewildered, uh, and then the black horse on the phone in that dream. So I was looking at verse 5, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, and by the, by the way, the third beast, going back to Revelation chapter 4, would be the the, the, the beast with the face of a man, okay, the face of a man. And I heard the third beast say, come and see, and beheld, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse, okay, so that was kind of consistent with the dream. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny. Remember, a penny was a day's wage back then when a penny is being spoken of. So I heard him say a measure, a single measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. For a full day's wage, you could have a little bit of wheat and a little bit of barley. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. All right, so I was looking at that and connecting it to what I saw at the at the grocery store in the dream. And this is where God said this morning, go deeper, look a little bit further, you know, go, go beneath the surface of what you're seeing and what you're, what I'm, what I'm causing you to understand. So the only thing I could do is go on to the very next verse. And I want to start there again in revelation six, seven, when he had opened the fourth seal I heard the voice of the fourth beast, which is the flying eagle, say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. Now, uh, I've got all my scriptures out here, so let's get into it a little bit. So the pale horse, that word pale, is, it's, a Greek, it's a Greek word that's chloros. Just in case you've never studied this out before, the word pale is chloros, and that's where we get the color green. And that's what it's, it's green or yellowish pale, uh, but chloros is from the same as 5514, greenish, uh, verdant, uh, dun-colored, green, pale, all right? So we have tender green grass or grain, all right? So this is, 
The pale horse is a green horse or a greenish colored horse. And his name that sat on him was death. Okay, so death is the rider of the pale horse. And that word death is the thanatos, the thanatos. And it literally talks about just a sense of death or dying or separation from the body. Okay, so we look at death is the rider of the pale horse and hell followed with him. Now, this is important, okay, because we don't really focus on this that much. Um, again, the black horse representing the famine or the soaring food prices. Um, so people will not have the economic power to buy uh, food as normally as they always have when this is fulfilled. I heard a story, and I could tell you part of the story, half of it I know for a fact. The other part I know for a fact, too, because the person who told it is worthy of telling the story. But several months ago, my wife, Patricia, went to buy an organic chicken at Harps, and it was $20, which is crazy. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, our brother shared with us that a friend of his who drives trucks went to a Harps to buy an organic chicken, for his mother, and the receipt, he had the receipt, the organic chicken was $50, $50, for an organic chicken. So we have a pale-looking horse, a green horse, and we have death is riding the horse, hell is following with him, and power was given unto them, death and hell, to do what? Death, uh, power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. Now, the fourth part means a fourth of it, okay? And so, when you talk about a fourth part of the earth, this death and this hell is going to have power over the fourth part of the planet. And, and what is it going to do? To kill. So it has power over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword. Now, we know the sword is war. We know what's going on supposedly right now in Ukraine with Russia and what's happening with all the different alliances and NATO forces, et cetera, et cetera, that people are talking about the possibility of World War III or a global war. Well, this fourth horse, when it rides, it has power to kill a fourth part of the earth with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. So four tools of death and this death that's riding the pale horse and hell following, it's as though death is killing and hell is swallowing up the dead. This is judgment. There's no doubt this is judgment, massive judgment on the earth. And people are going to die at the fulfillment of this. But the thing that struck me with the dream of the devastation at the grocery store where people couldn't buy or anything, there was just a total wipeout, um, it seemed now that it was an economic collapse going back to the black horse. Because I remember the grocery store, 
All the shelves were full. The shelves were full. They weren't empty. The place was packed out, but people couldn't buy. That refers to the black horse of uh, a measure of wheat for a day's wage. A lot of people couldn't afford to buy the food because of an economic imbalance, a collapse, and this is what that dream went. So God said, look a little bit further now. So the very next step in the progression in the unfolding or opening of the seals comes to this green horse, and death is riding, and now he strikes a fourth quarter to kill the people on the earth and the animals with the sword of war and with hunger. So I looked at this word hunger, and hunger is the limos, and it comes from um, uh, just a simple Greek word that is through the idea of destitution or scarcity of food. It talks about a dearth. It talks about famine. All right, so this is the biblical definition in the Greek concordance for how the spirit of death is going to kill a fourth part of the world at the unfolding of this particular seal, the fourth seal, it's through the idea of destitution, scarcity of food. Now, in the dream, in the black horse, plenty of food, but not enough money to buy it. In the next step, no food, famine, scarcity of food, destitution. So I took this just a little bit deeper, and I wanted to know a little bit more about the famine. So I have a few articles I want to share with you, but first I'll give you the definition, first of all, of the word hunger. All right, so the word hunger, and I know it should be very easy to, you know, what all this means, right? No doubt about that. But um, hunger is a craving or urgent need for food or a specific nutrient, okay? Uh, Hunger is also an uneasy sensation occasioned by the lack of food. It is a weakened condition brought about by prolonged lack of food, okay? So this is just a simple definition of hunger, and I think that's pretty self-explanatory. So let's go to a little bit more now, and I want to look in at the word. Um, Let's go to the word famine, all right? Let's go to the word famine. So let me get out of this. Let me get out of this. Um, And let's go to, I don't want to get to the article yet. I want to come with this word, the global famine. Okay. So as usual, things get a little bit tweaked. So let me just go here and say, what is, and you're going to, what is hunger? All right. So in this, when you type this in, what is hunger? Here's what it comes up with in the Wikipedia, right? And other definitions. Hunger in politics ah, or humanitarian aid and the social sciences. Hunger is defined as a condition in which a person does not have the physical or financial capability 
to eat sufficient food to meet basic nutritional needs for a sustained period. In the field of hunger relief, the term hunger is used in a sense that goes beyond the common desire for food that all humans experience. The most extreme form of hunger, when malnutrition is widespread and when people have started dying of starvation through lack of access to sufficient nutritious food, it leads to a declaration of famine. All right, so now we go back here for just a moment and say, well, what is, and this is what I wanted to get into, what is famine? So everything talks about famine, and so you go a little deeper to the word famine. Under the heading of famine, it talks about catastrophe, that a famine is a catastrophe. And then they say that a famine is widespread scarcity of food caused by several factors, including war, which we see in the, in the fourth seal, natural disasters, crop failure, population imbalance, widespread poverty, and economic catastrophe, the black horse, or government policies. This phenomenon is usually accompanied or followed by regional malnutrition, starvation, epidemic, and increased mortality. Every inhabited continent in the world has experienced a period of famine throughout history. In the 19th and 20th century, generally characterized Southeast and South Asia, as well as Eastern and Central Europe, in terms of having suffered most number of deaths from famine. The numbers dying from famine began to fall sharply from the 2000s. Since 2010, Africa has been the most affected continent in the world. So when you go back to this and you say, well, a famine is a widespread scarcity of food, we get that. But it's caused by several factors, including war. So war contributes to famine. Natural disasters, flooding, et cetera, et cetera. Crop failure, population imbalance. Now, we have all heard about the one world government who wants to depopulate the earth in order to save the resources of the planet. And they have to get rid of the what? The useless eaters, the people that don't do anything to build up the one world government. You know, if you're not making bricks and you're not building the Tower of Babel, you really don't deserve to live. So what they want to do is starve out large portions of the population and they want to starve them out through hunger. They want to, de they want to depopulate the earth through war, uh, weather control, weather modification, all these different crop failure things going on. So whether it's chemical, biological, warfare, or pandemics, or diseases released, right now there seems to be a lot of power in the hands of man. We just saw that in 2020. So according to this document, um, famine, I want to talk just a little bit more about famine. And I'm going to start with global famine and Let's just, if you'll be patient with me, I want to get through a number of articles. Could it be possible that the stage is being set for horrific famines that the Bible has been warning us about for nearly 2,000 years? A few years ago, 
any talk of coming famines would have seemed absolutely ludicrous to most people in the Western world. But the events of the last several months have changed everything. Now the UN is openly warning that famines of biblical proportions could be on the way. And the head of the UN World Food Program is telling us that we could soon see 300,000 people literally starve to death every single day. Nightmarish droughts, African swine fever, COVID-19, and armies of locusts in Africa the size of major cities have combined to create a perfect storm. And global food supplies are becoming tighter with each passing month. As conditions continue to deteriorate, many are starting to wonder if certain prophetic passages in the Bible are starting to come to fruition. For example, in Matthew 24-7, Jesus specifically warned us that there would be famines in the days immediately preceding his return. For nation shall rise against nation, he said, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. We can also find very similar warnings from Jesus in Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. So, if we actually are living during the time just before the return of Jesus, we should expect to see horrifying global famines start to emerge. And that is precisely what we are witnessing at this moment. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, we are told that hunger will eventually be a major factor in the deaths of a large portion of the global population. And again, as I've already read, I looked and behold a pale horse. His name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Okay. David Beasley is the executive director of the UN World Food Program. And he recently stated that we are heading directly into the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. Hunger is rapidly rising all over the globe, and he believes that if dramatic intervention does not happen quickly, we could see an astounding death toll. According to Beasley, we could soon see 300,000 people around the world starve to death every single day. That's worth repeating. And that figure doesn't even factor in the effect of this coronavirus pandemic. He said, if we can't reach these people with the life-saving assistance they need, our analysis shows that 300,000 people could starve to death every single day over a three-month period he upheld. This does not include the increase of starvation due to COVID-19, so there's even more. As fear of COVID-19 pushes us into an unprecedented global economic downturn, how much worse will that make our rapidly growing global food crises? Of course, in the Western world, we are much better off than most of the rest of the planet for now. Famine is definitely not an immediate concern for us, but thanks to COVID-19, we are now wrestling with significant food shortages. 
because meat supplies are so tight, approximately one-fifth of all Wendy's restaurants have taken burgers off their menus. When I first read that, I was absolutely stunned. Of course, Wendy's is not the only one dealing with strained supply chains. Costco has started limiting the amount of meat that each customer can purchase, and Tyson Foods has announced that their capacity to slaughter hogs has fallen by about 50%. Time Magazine is warning us that the meat shortages could last for months, and they could stretch even longer than that if this coronavirus pandemic doesn't start to subside. Meanwhile, farmers all over America are seeing their hard work go to waste because broken supply chains have made it impossible to sell what they have produced. One industry expert is actually claiming that billions of dollars worth of crops have gone to waste as a result of this crisis. He said, crops planted months before based on pre-pandemic demand spoiled without buyers. Billions of dollars worth of product went to waste, much of it tilled back into the soil, said Kathy Burns, CEO of the Produce Marketing Association, which represents produce companies. I have a feeling that eventually we will greatly regret allowing so much good food to go to waste. Sadly, most of the rest of the world is actually in much worse shape than we are right now. Long before COVID-19 came along, crazy weather patterns were playing havoc with harvest all over the world. For instance, Australia is traditionally a major exporter of wheat to the rest of the world, but unprecedented droughts have forced Australia to actually start importing wheat. It's, this article said that Australia, which made a rare purchase of Canadian wheat in the current marketing year, is expected to continue buying more wheat in the 2019-2020 marketing year, October to September, uh, through all of the next September, as weather conditions remain difficult in key states, market analysis say. So this has been going on. Australia's wheat output dropped 45.6% to 17.3 million uh, MT in the 2018-2019 market in year from a record high of 31.8 million in 2016 and 17, owing to prolonged drought conditions data from the Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics shows. This forced the country to import wheat for the first time in 12 years. So in addition, another plague of biblical proportions has been killing off pigs in unprecedented numbers. When I tell people that African swine fever has already killed off half the pigs in China and one-fourth of all the pigs in the entire world, a lot of people don't believe me. So let me give you a quote that comes directly from New Scientist. A quarter of the world's domestic pigs have died this year as a virus rampages across Eurasia. And that may be just the start. Half the pigs in China, which last year numbered 440 million, some 50% of the world's pigs have either died of African swine fever or been killed to stamp out the virus. So the African swine fever comes from East Africa. In 2007, it reached Georgia in the Caucasus in contaminated meat and it infected wild boar. Now it is all over Russia and Eastern Europe. 
and infected wild boar have turned up as far west as Belgium. It is also spreading in East Asia, killing many pigs in Vietnam and elsewhere. And if you don't believe them, just do a Google search and you will find countless mainstream news sources telling you the exact same facts. This is actually happening. The death toll is rising with each passing day. Meanwhile, a new generation of locust armies that is being described as 20 times bigger than the last generation is destroying countless farms all across Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Asia. The following comes from one of the previous articles that were written. Even before COVID-19 became the biggest public health crisis to hit the globe in decades, enormous swarms of locusts the size of major cities were devouring crops throughout Eastern Africa, across the Middle East, and even in some parts of Asia. Now a new generation that officials are describing as 20 times bigger has emerged. And the devastation that this new generation of locusts is causing is extremely alarming. These colossal locust swarms can travel up to 90 miles a day. And as you will see, when they descend upon a field, they can literally eat everything there in as little as 30 seconds. This new generation of locusts has been spotted as far south as Congo, as far north as Iran, and as far east as India. In other words, the food supplies of billions of people are at risk. Never before have we seen so many catastrophic threats to the global food supply emerge at the same time. It appears that the perfect storm is now upon us, and I anticipate that global events will continue to accelerate in the months ahead. Of course, we still have some way to go before we get to the type of famines described in the scripture, but it certainly looks like the stage is being set for severe hunger on a global scale. Now, I told you that when I'm done with the articles, people are going to be wondering, well, what do we do? And I want to be stay serious. I want to stay sober about what we're reading right now because I do believe it's prophetic and there is an answer, and we all need to hear that answer. Um, so that was an excellent article on this, uh, this famine. Um, I like this. This was an article. I think I want to save that one. Let me just cut to the chase. I just want to do that today. The Bible says that hunger is going to be used to kill a fourth part of the people on the earth. Without making up numbers, we're told that we're in the seven billions and approaching eight billion human beings on planet earth. According to this this fourth seal, two billion people will be killed by war, hunger, and what else did we read? Death and the beasts of the earth. Tools for killing. In the hand of a writer that has power to kill. 
And the, the thing I want to focus on, because it's the thing that God is unveiling and revealing at this time, with all the conversation about Ukraine being a wheat basket, Russia being a wheat basket, we're going to go into a little bit more detail on that. Hunger. Hunger. We have witnessed the images on the computer and television for years about places around the world where people were starving to death. They had no food. The famines that hit their land, the drought that hit their land. We've seen vultures the size of grown men crouching over little boys and girls, five and six years old, with their bones sticking out, just waiting to devour them. We've seen a lot of things. And in the West, in this godless society in which we live, where the most righteous among us are but briars and thorns, according to prophet Jeremiah, the best, in other words, are fit for the fire. We live in a godless society of mass bloodshedding and uh, debauchery, sin and corruption and blasphemy. And we don't exaggerate that when we say it. All you have to do is look and you'll see from the highest echelons of the people that run this country to the people that are supposed to be running it, um, it's, a, it's, it's not a good thing, and yet we sit down and we boast that, you know, these things are far away from us and, and we're too rich. Don't ever forget when people get a mindset and they say that, you know, nothing bad could ever happen to us. What it says in the book of Revelation in chapter 18, and all I want to do is just read in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 18, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Listen to that carefully today. That you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you and double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she says in her heart, and make sure this is not the boast of your heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore, shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Anytime people look at our country or they look and they, they see our systems and our wealth, and they begin to boast in that wealth, God says, in one hour, I could wipe it all out. And I don't think too many people fear God anymore. I don't believe that people believe that God is even involved in the affairs of this world. I don't believe that they believe that God is a God of judgment. They only want to know him as a God of love and tolerance. And, and you know, he, he owes us something kind of a God. And he's so afraid that we're going to get hurt that he won't do anything to bring judgment, to bring righteousness into the world. Well, that's not the Bible. 
That's men's thinking. And anytime you think that you're okay and your, your heart goes and says, well, I, I'll never see sorrow because I've got uh, the man in the scriptures that Jesus talked about. I built my barns and I, I, they, I had so much in my barn. So I said, what will I do? Well, I'll tear the barn down. I'll build greater barns and I'll fill all my barns. And then I'll sit down and say, ah, my soul, take your ease because you have much goods for many years. And God said to him, what? You're a fool. Tonight, your soul is going to be required of you. So you have, even if you had everything in the whole world and you die, now your soul is going into eternity somewhere. But we also have scripture telling us that you could have everything and be resting in it, trusting in it, and it could disappear in an hour. Job is a great example of having everything and losing it in one day, in one day. And that was for God to teach his kids a lesson of hope. We have a story of Joseph in the days of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, where he interpreted a dream of the Pharaoh about seven fat cows and seven lean cows. And the interpretation is seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine. And Joseph did something about the dream along with Pharaoh. And I don't know if you've recognized it or not, but there has been a windfall of prosperity, hit a lot of people um, in the world, more billionaires today than we've ever known in the history of the world. Uh, People have gotten, you know, just prosperity came and some people go, I don't even know where it came from. You know, and we saw all this building and and all this stuff going on, and people had a lot of wealth. Well, it was intended to prepare for the famine, the seven years of famine. So Joseph was very intelligent, and he knew what was coming, so he was put in charge of everything. And what happened, and I like this one article that talks about this, how the people – Um, wound up giving everything they had to the one man, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, maybe representing uh, in type and shadow an antichrist, right? The one man to whom all the people will have to give their wealth to. They won't be able to buy or sell, eat or drink or do anything unless they submit everything. And in the days of Joseph and Pharaoh, Uh, the people would go to Egypt for food, but they'd have to give money. Then when they ran out of money, then they'd have to give their land. And when they didn't have any land, they gave their cattle. And they had to keep turning everything they had over to this one man so that they could just survive and not starve to death. And so they came into bondage. And in the day we're living in, in a one world government, um, you know, the people of the earth are are, are going to depend on that one world government. But the people of the kingdom, people that have wisdom, people that understand these days should be far ahead in their preparations, trusting that where they are preparing is the place that God called them to prepare. And what they're preparing is water and food, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. So Um, The idea of doing nothing because we're going to be gone before these things happen is ludicrous. These things have already happened and continue to happen, and it's just coming to America now. 
uh, the breadbasket of the world, if you will, and God's judgment is being proclaimed. It is being declared, and people that are hearing it are doing things to prepare for it. And uh, I can't wait to close this out because what I want to share with you is just so rich. But let me get to this article, um, and maybe you're already aware of this. Global crop collapse, now a certainty. Widespread famine to plague planet Earth from 2022 to 2024. It is set in motion and cannot be stopped. A convergence of horrifying events have set into motion an irreversible collapse of food production and crop harvest that will lead to global famine all the way through 2024. These events cannot be stopped for the simple reason that plants take time to grow. You cannot create crops instantly. And if they don't get planted or they get destroyed, there's no instant replacement. The reasons for the coming global famine include floods and droughts causing sharp drops in crop production in China, Russia, and the USA, among other nations. Economic sanctions against Russia causing a halting of exports for food and fertilizer. War in Ukraine leading to a halting of the 2022 planting season for wheat, corn, soy, and other crops. War in the Black Sea blocking ship movements in the ports, such as Odessa, which normally export crops. The Biden administration shutting down of fossil fuel production in the USA adding significant cost to fertilizers and agricultural operations, and global fiat currency money printing, making food inflation reach atrocious levels. Importantly, all this coalesces into two primary problems that will now accelerate across the world. Number one, food scarcity. Number two, food inflation. And I want you to know that that's what Revelation chapter 6, third seal, and fourth seal say in their progression. First, economic, it's there, but you can't buy it. Then there isn't any food. And even if you had all the money in the world, it will cost you, like in the Weimar Republic of Germany, a wheelbarrow full of cash to get a loaf of bread, or as this says, a measure of wheat for a day's wages. How are you going to feed your family? So this is all lining up biblically of where God is telling us we are. Scarcity, of course, means there's no remaining supply, no matter what the cost. Inflation means the food that is available will be significantly higher in price. Both of them cause people to panic, ultimately leading to widespread civil unrest. Very true. Civil unrest, people panicking. I'll never forget the day that my little dog, Max, was dying in my arms. We were brand new to Northwest Arkansas, and we were undergoing a severe trial. My father-in-law had just been in a massive car accident. I had snapped my Achilles heel. My little dog, Max, is now dying in my arms because of food poisoning. 
My wife, Patricia, was driving down the road, and she heard the devil speak to her and say, get out of my territory. Yeah, we thought it was going to be easy moving to northwest Arkansas, but we discovered when we got here there was a lot of spiritual battling going on, and God brought us through. But I'll never forget, as my little dog, Max, was dying in my arms, and I was rushing down to a uh, place, a uh, veterinarian, and I was... Uh, I brought Max in, and they took him in the back room, and I was waiting in the waiting room. And all all of a sudden, almost like on cue, where you have a director's box, say, ready, take action. I'm sitting in this room, and I could hear a big vehicle pull up in the parking lot. There's, you have to come through one set of doors, and there's a little hall, and then you have to come through the door into the waiting room. And I hear this woman wailing. And I don't want to try to describe it because it's just weird. And it was wailing. And I, I heard the door open and you could hear the wind blow on the other doors. And the wailing got louder. And she comes walking through and now she's in the waiting room and she's wailing. And she's got this animal in her hand and she's wailing. And everything in me started to wail. I, I mean, I was just getting ready. There was such a I don't know, it was like a domino effect or something, and suddenly the Spirit of God said to me, don't. And I was immediately checked, and I, I, I retreated back into the Spirit, and this, this thing happened, and the Lord began to dialogue with me that, you know, again, I had heard years ago that beneath the skin of every human being, right beneath the skin, is a layer of panic. And if you don't know how to get past that down deeper into the peace of God, you the panic is there. So, And when people begin to panic, it has this ability to bring others into it. You know, it's like the looky-loos. And, you know, somebody slows down to see an accident, everybody slows down. Um, there, are, there are things that create environments. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves operating in wrong environments, which will not be healthy, right? So... God began to talk to me about the day that's coming where panic is going to hit the earth. And it's going to be panic for a hundred different reasons. But there's going to be a, an energy, satanic, demonic, spiritual, that's going to cause an atmosphere of panic. And God was telling me, prepare now not to entertain that spirit in any situation, any situation. But he made it known to me that m most human beings will operate out of the layer of panic beneath their skin when things start going south. And so you can imagine unspiritual people who have maybe their own sense of spirituality but are not spiritual at all, um, because true spirituality comes from the spirit of God. First of all, that's it. You could be a guru if you want. You're still not spiritual. You're just philosophical. But anyways, that operates out of the soul. That's man's religion in his soul. True spiritual people can only be that because of the spirit of the living God that comes through Jesus Christ and our faith. So you can imagine a world filled with solical people that will operate. Right now, they've, they've covered all their panic realm by their life is everything is perfect. Everything's in order. I got money. I got my job. I got my kids. I got family. Okay, what have I got to... But the moment the crisis comes, panic is going to set in. This could be huge. And when people panic, they do crazy things, just like we just saw here. 
people begin to get weird. Civil unrest is what we just read about. Um, there's a lot more to this article. I'm not so sure I want to, how deep I want to go into it, but um, let's just go a little bit further, okay? So farmers are right now re- reporting a roughly 300% increase in their cost to produce crops such as wheat. This is due to the three primary inputs. Number one, the cost of fertilizer and seed. Number two, the cost of fuel to power agricultural equipment. Number three, the availability of tractors and other equipment and their parts in order to carry out mechanized agricultural operations. So a lack of availability, fuel costs soaring, fertilizer and seed costs rising. In addition to these factors, fuel costs, okay, uh, let me say something first. Importantly, all three of these inputs are heavily strained due to the conditions mentioned above. In addition to these factors, fuel costs significantly elevate transportation expenses to transport grains to grain storage and milling providers. Thus, rising fuel costs hit farmers twice. First, for the cost of running their equipment, Secondly, in the transportation costs. Sadly, it looks like diesel fuel is headed towards $6 a gallon. And this is going to put severe upward pressure on food prices across the board. As I say in the podcast, elections have consequences. And rigged elections have dire consequences. Joe Biden is punishing America with economic sanctions against our entire energy sector while having no such sanctions on Russia's energy exports. Fertilizer prices have tripled and will likely go higher, especially as Russia has halted fertilizer exports and shut down natural gas pipelines to Western Europe. As a result, the fertilizer supply is growing scarce. About 5 billion people on the planet depend on fossil fuel-created fertilizer for their primary source of food. Thus, without fertilizer, if it were to go to zero, about 5 billion people starve to death. Now, every day that you and I wake up and we open our refrigerators or our cabinets in our homes, I want to ask you a question. Where did the food come from that's in your refrigerator today or your freezer or in your cupboards? Where did it come from? Did it come from your garden in the backyard of your house? Did it come from your cow that gives milk and butter and dairy? Did it come from your, your beef that you got from your own cow? Um, where did the vegetables come from? Where does the fruit come from? Where does all your food come from? Well, most people would honestly answer it came from the grocery store or from the marketplace somewhere. I had a dream last week about a grocery store filled with food, but people were devastated. They couldn't buy it. And the anarchy created bloodshed in the dream. If you recall, there was blood. People were being shot at the grocery store. And then the authorities have stepped in and they're trying to take control of the situation. People want food, but they are so used to getting it from the store, and now the store prices had soared And the next step will be no food. So what do people do? They start killing each other. 
That's very real. Katrina in 2005 proved that, along with other scenarios we could tap into along the way. God is telling us, the Holy Spirit of the living God is telling us, this is coming. I want to tell people, don't go buy dehydrated food anymore. Get whatever you need to get in dehydrated food, but rather get seeds. Make sure you have seeds. Make sure that you have soil. So you could plant the seeds in the soil. Make sure you have water so when the seeds are planted in the soil, you'll be able to water the seeds. I'm going to show you right now, because I've had enough of talking about the reality of what's coming. I'm going to show you how to survive through the biblical manner. I'm going to show you exactly how to survive what God is saying is, co- is coming, which is hunger, along with pestilence and all the other things. I want to show you how to survive. And I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And what God prepared man to do was to take care of his home, his living, his manner of life. So come with me to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this to your life right now, okay? This is for you. So rather than freaking out and panicking when there's no grocery stores, there's no water coming out of your faucet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, here's what God gives us wisdom to do. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The very first thing that you need to start thinking about if you're going to survive what's coming down the pike is where you live. And your home needs to be like the Garden of Eden. That was the home of man. So you need to have land. And on your land, you need to have a garden. It needs to be like a garden. It needs to be like a paradise. You know, and, uh, and this is what I want you to do. Your home, number one, is the first thing you need to think about. Where do you live? If you live in an apartment building in the middle of a major city, you're in trouble for the most part. If you live day by day by what the grocery store has down the street, you're in trouble. The Bible says that God made this man and he put him in a garden to be his home. And then he created in that garden something for food. So number one, you have to concentrate on where you're going to live. Number two, God gave to man food. Food. You see what it says there? And it was good for food. He said the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, so that was there, and we'll get into why that was there in just a little bit. But we know that God made the man. He gave him a home, number one. 
He gave him a place where he could have his own food, number two, not a grocery store. And a river, verse 10, went out of Eden to water the garden. The third thing that the Bible gave to Adam for is water. So where you go, where you live, you need to be able to have your own food, and you need to be able to have your own water. And then it talks about the names of the river when it broke into four heads, and it talks about the Pison or the Pishon. That is where gold of that land is good. Now listen to this. So where the, uh, uh, the name of the first river, or let me go to back verse 10 again. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. That was number three, the water. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pishon. That is it which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is delium and the onyx stone. Now, what does that represent? An economy. In that river, number four, that you want to put down on your list, you have home, number one, number two, food, number three, water, number four, an economy. God gave economy, gold, delium, the onyx. This is an economy, a kingdom economy. So you need to have with you gold, silver, cash, whatever, diamonds, rubies, whatever you have. Okay, this is the economy that God gave to Adam. So you need to have a little economy, resource. Then it talks about uh, the name of the second river was Gihon. The same compass as the whole land of Ethiopia. Not much in that. The same of the third river is Hittichel. That is which goes toward the Caesarean fourth river is Euphrates. Now, each one of these rivers have a meaning, and they're awesome. They're spiritual, quite frankly. And that river is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of these four rivers. But I want you to go, go to number five now. Number five, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. To dress it and to keep it is work. That's your labor force. Okay? So when you get to your land... You're going to have to grow your own food. You're going to supply the water through a well or another water source. You're going to have an economy to be able to deal with what you need to if a park breaks down. You're going to have to work and labor. Now, I, I know that my friend told me that what it really means to work and to tend the garden or to dress it and to keep it was to sing over the plants. Praise God. I'm good with that. Sing over your crops. Love the Lord. Bring the environment of Christ and the kingdom of heaven into your land, into your home. Don't let the devil invade it with gross things, right? Keep your land sacred, but you're going to have to dress it, and you're going to have to keep it. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man. So now we have a commandment saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So number six is the law, God's law. You have to have God's law in your land. So, number one, what does God want you to have right now? What do you need to do to escape what's coming on this earth? Find land, either by yourself or with a community of believers. Find land. 
on that land have the ability to have soil to grow food. Number two, on that land, make sure there's a water source or several water sources to be able to water the garden. Number three. Number four, they have to have your economy, your gold, your silver, your cash, your diamonds, whatever that you could trade with or barter with. You need to have a, an ability to trade, which was number four. Number five, be prepared to work, to do, to take care of what you have. And you take part of your economy to bless and to take care of what you have. You don't let it come into drought or famine or ugliness. You take care of what God has given you. Number uh, six, now we have the law. There's got to be law. If you're living on your own, you have to keep the law of God. You're under the commandments of the Lord. You keep the commandments of God. If you're in community, there needs to be law. There needs to be commandments. And everybody has to look at them as the law of the Lord, agree to them, and then be responsible to keep them. That was number six. Now, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground, okay, so it's talking here about number seven, marriage. God is saying that the best way for you to go through these days is with a help meet, a married couple, people that are best friends and love each other enough to take care of one another. Marriage, in God's mind, was good. Okay? So he formed every beast out of the field, every fowl of the air. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, watch this. I want to go back to number two, the food source. Uh, The food source was for their, it was the herbs, right? It was, it was for, it was good for food. Uh, He made every tree to grow, good for the tree. Uh, So the herbs, the trees, are for medical well-being. It's medicinal. Food is medicinal to a body that's eating right. So you want to be able to grow the good foods. So what do we have so far? In the Bible, we have the home, number one. You need to know where to live right now. And if you live in a place that you can't, you can't grow your own food, uh, you don't have access to your own water supply, you need to, you need to move. You need to find an acre of land or two acres or five acres, or you need to find a place to be so that you can start growing your own food, have your own water. You need your own economy. You need to be willing to work and able to work. You need to have the law of God uh, governing everything you, you do and where you live. And marriage is the best thing. And then number eight, what happens when you get married? You produce a family, right? So marriage leads to family, the family of God. A marriage can also be considered where communities of believers are coming together as one 
You know, we boast a lot about New Wine Ministries, have, you know, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We talk about being unified, having the same mind, the same judgment. Really, that conversation is about marriage. It's about covenant, where communities of believers will covenant with each other uh, and live together and like a marriage. But I like the idea of having my best friend, my wife, my married partner. But then again, we are connected to the body of Christ. What does Genesis chapter 2 tell us? You want to survive today? You need to do these things. Home, where you're going to live. Grow your own food. Be able to water. Have an economy. Be able to work. Have the law of God to govern everything you do. Have a married partner if you can. Not necessary, but if you can. And if you can't, the people you're with, treat it as though it's a marriage to care for one another, love one another. May they become your best friends. And then family. It has to all be treated like a family. Supporting, protecting, guarding. The greatest thing about all this is that God's intention was to be a hedge all around this reality. This is what you need to find right now. You have to do this. You have to do this. What I love about Northwest Arkansas is it's one of the places on the planet where this becomes a possibility. In the natural state, there's a lot of water supply. There's a lot of game, a lot of hunting, a lot of food. The area in and of itself is like the Garden of Eden or could be. All we got to do is get Christians believing and coming into more uh, love and peace amongst ourselves and understanding these things. Um, and I think as time goes by, there's a place for that. Meanwhile, there are little groups of people here and there that are already operating this way. This is good. But wherever you are, you need to look for this. The idea of doing nothing and just observing and waiting to see what happens is not the biblical mandate. Now, the thing I want to leave you with today is in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 31, because this is the spiritual climate. Okay, we just talked about a physical, on earth, real deal climate. But the spiritual climate of your heart that you need to bring into this physical climate is found in Romans 8:31 and on. What shall we say, shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So imagine you on your land or on land with others, having your own food source, your own water supply. You don't need to go to the grocery store because you've already been there and got the things you need before it happens. You have your economy. You've saved. You were a good steward with what you had. You, you gave your tithes and offerings because that's the best investment anybody's ever going to make in the kingdom of God or on this earth. You can invest in Bitcoin all you want. The better investment is in the kingdom of God. When you give your tithes, your offerings, you give to the work of God, the, 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 the response to that from God is better than anything you could ever imagine because God says, He'll take the seed sown, multiply it, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. See, you invest in Bitcoin, it can't do that. You can invest in any other market in the world, it can't increase the fruits of your righteousness. But God does while he multiplies your seed sown. So that's your economy. 
So if we're, if we're doing that, well, God is for us. In other words, I see God in, in our environment. God is around us. His glory is a hedge of protection. And then in verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So God wants to give you all the things that you need, spiritually and physically. Then who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? These are now getting to the elect of God. The world's got its elect, its elite. God has his elect, his elite. It is God that justifies Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is he that, and who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? So, as we're doing the right thing, at the right place, at the right time, with the right people, right now, God's hedge of protection is around us. Who could be against us? Christ is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Who, verse 35, shall separate us from the love of Christ. Hmm. Shall tribulation, it's coming. No. Distress, it's coming. No. Persecution, it's coming. No. Or famine, it's coming. Nakedness or peril or sword, war, it's coming. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So there you have it, in all sincerity, a biblical download of what's coming and how to prepare. Genesis chapter 2, when you pull out those eight nuggets, is a life worth living. Maybe you're in a situation in your life for one reason or another, where you're weak, I'm probably the weakest person on the planet, by the way, um, but you're just, you don't have a lot, and um, maybe you're willing to work, um, you don't want to get stuck, you have faith in Christ, you love the Lord. God always tells his people to take care of people who cannot provide for themselves for one reason or another, and that's Okay. You have the right heart, the right attitude, the willingness to work, the willingness, trying to do the best you can. Trust God. God will provide environment, atmosphere, provision for those who cannot take care of themselves. This is community. Maybe you're going to go it alone. Maybe you're just, you you know, us for no more mentality. Me, my wife, my two kids, we're going to do it alone. Go for it. I mean, you do what you got to do. The Bible kind of gives a little bit different of an indication. It talks more about community of believers. And would to God that every town in America 
and around the world where believers exist would come together under one banner, which is Christ, and rally around the cross and pool their resources together, whether it's land or money or equipment or skill or whatever, pool it together and everybody prosper and work together as a community. That may or may not happen. That's how the early church actually operated in the book of Acts, which is an incredible way to do things. Um, There's got to be order. There's got to be order. There were 12 apostles kind of running things. There's got to be order. And sometimes people don't like order. They want to be in control. And uh, the only one that should be in control is God and the Holy Spirit, but there should be order. Your government is supposed to be the people that are orderly arranging for our nation, but they're not. They're thieves. They're liars and they're crooks and blasphemers, and so you can't trust them anymore. So you got to find your own way. You have to be a city within a city. You have to be a nation within a nation. You have to have your own form of law and government within a nation of laws and government. You need to find a way to do it with a community of believers who are willing to come out of her, my people, not to participate in the judgment that's going to come upon her. This is how you survive. This is how you do it. You discomfort yourself and you leave your beautiful home and you go into a place you've never been before and you find land and you dig a well and you plant a garden and you work it. You use your economy to fix it and to build it while you can. And then you meet the right people and you could produce a family. You have your own family with your wife and your children. Your family grows in community. You work. You love, you encourage, you inspire, you repent, you confess, you become a Christian, and you become a Christian community. Not just a bunch of people that go a few days a week to the building. You begin to live life together. Oh, but I don't like so-and-so, and they don't like me, and we have a personality conflict, which is work it out. That's all you can do. That's going to happen no matter what. Conflicts, personality conflicts. I mean, you, you go Book of Acts chapter 6, man, they had problems. They worked it out. You got to work it out because I guarantee you could bounce to every community possible. You're going to find trouble because it's everywhere. But through the spirit of Christ, you work it out. And you take that mountain of obstacle and you reduce it to a plain, a smooth path for fellowship. It can happen. It does happen all the time. All right, before I go, I want to say hello to a few people out here, see how everybody's doing. Uh, Terry's with us this morning. God bless you, Terry. Sorry I missed you last week if you didn't hear that last time. Uh, Pastor Denny, good morning, Pastor V, and his kingdom saints. Keep praising into his heart, pressing into his heart. Amen. Uh, God bless you. Kevin Hauger is with us this morning. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, Pastor Kingdom Teaching. Thank you, Sietta. God bless you, Sietta. Appreciate you. Pastor Melissa Flesher, good morning. Good morning to you, South Dakota. Laquita, Sister Laquita, trusting everything went well in Texas. God bless you. Kelly and Jesse, I can't wait to hear about what happened. Um, Terry says, yesterday Biden said the quiet part out loud. U.S. has to lead the way in the new world order. I call it Nazi world order. Remember, Illuminati, powder of chaos, 
Yeah, they will create chaos. The powder keg will blow, no doubt. Governments will starve people like Stalin did, no doubt about it. Uh, good morning from Miriam and Phil Buswell. Pastor V, famine could begin tomorrow. I intend to learn how to grow microgreens. Way to go, Phil. That's the way to do it. Show us the way. Carol Carey, good morning, friends. It's a good day because God made it. Hallelujah. Agree. Uh, Terry, Russia produces 80% of world's fertilizer. They typically buy the wheat seed stock from USA. All right. Very good. Uh, Phil Buswell, he'll return at wrong time. Microgreens are like a bean sprout and can be grown on a window ledge. All right. We can live on microgreens and potatoes, right? Uh, Kevin Howard, it's quite interesting that fertilizer is made from petroleum. Yes, it is added to other chemicals to create fertilizer, but it is the main part. Our breadbasket farms in the middle of the country, uh, soil is depleted of all nourishment in the soil for plants to grow. Uh, then Terry goes on to say, get organic legacy seed, not GMO seeds. Then you can use crop for the next year's seed. Go is dead hybrid. Yeah, uh, uh, Geo is dead hybrid. Uh, Autumn Nichols tagging the following so they can tune in. A.D., Curtis, Marla, Marla, Joanna, Francisco. All right, so go ahead and uh, I guess that's another place you can listen into. Uh, Terry says, and, and good morning, by the way, to Autumn and to... Um, let's see, uh, amino or ammonia nitrate fertilizer comes from cracking natural gas. Why Russia produces 80%? They have tremendous gas reserves. Uh, Kevin says, heirloom seeds are what you need. Organic seeds need to be open pollinated type. All right, good information. Uh, Terry says, I need to get some beehives. We don't have pollinators. My apple trees prove it. Never have any. Okay. Beehives are awesome. we got friends in our fellowship that have them. Uh, Terry goes on to say, uh, fruit and uh, uh, the trees have no fruit. Even the seed will be meat for you. Amen. Wheat saved Egyptians, Israeli in famine, and so did potatoes, the Irish. Joyce Young, good morning. Thank you for helping us to think biblical and prepare wisely. You are welcome, Joyce. God bless you. Now, a lot of people out there on their own, let me do something. I'm getting behind schedule here. But I got two calls that are coming in that I need to take, and I'm going to take this first call, 479-212. Uh, good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Pastor Vincent. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Good, good morning, Pastor Fan Michael. Fantastic. Hey, this is a wonderful program. Um, for those that are listening right now and all the input, we're all pretty much on the same page. But I wanted to dot an I of what you said earlier about the cities and it's always been on my heart after i read a certain passage and i can't believe i i don't believe right where, where it is right or well, not believe but i don't know where it is right now either mark luke matthew or john but jesus said to his disciples come on let's leave the city because darkness is coming let's go outside and I know that put a question mark on the disciples' minds at that moment, but that certain passage grew on me, being aware of this as it grew inside of my heart, that the cities with accumulated people is going to become a melting pot of chaos and confusion. And I've always told from the last five years here and there to people, get Hold out on, of the Michael. cities, get out of, yes. Well, hold on one second, brother. Hold on one second here. Okay. I've got a – someone said they couldn't hear. Let me make sure that we are okay. hearing you. Okay, go ahead and speak into it, Mike. 
Yeah, about the big cities. Uh, to get out of the big cities because there's going to become chaos and confusion. I think that's what Jesus was saying in that scripture spiritually for those that had ears to hear then grew on them when the Holy Spirit was given to them. But the Holy Spirit is given to us to get revelation for the time. And for us who are being watchmen, it hits certain watchmen on the wall and say, hey, you know what? We got to leave the big cities because of the chaos confusion. But where are you going to grow your crops? Every vacant lot in every big city is gone. Uh, they plant outside the city. Uh, if you're in an apartment, like you said, you're going to have a little bit of difficulty, and I agree with that 100%. So it is time, I think, in the Word for us Christians and believers to tell others who are living in big, giant metropolitan areas to start considering somewhat of an exodus, to get out to the places and to hear the Spirit of God through his voice saying, where do I go? You know, taking that first step like you did, Pastor, with your wife, when the Spirit of God said, I want you to go to Arkansas and build an ark, that must have been tremendous impact to you, but it grew inside of you. And there were people along the way that questioned it and say, you know, where is Arkansas? What are you talking about? But being on the part of that faith that you had, you have drawn many people to the area, have been drawn to the area, and have said, you know what, this is the place. And so it's like it's a good uh, thing to know that there are people right now that are establishing themselves outside of the city. And I hope and pray that others can hear what the Spirit of God is saying to them to get out. And that's my warning. You know, this is my warning, my ammunition to those, not ammunition, but my warning. But also, too, um, on a second note, do you know that the food consumption of the military, okay, this is where I think the food chain is going to go. If you have money, you're going to get good food. Uh, if you're in the military, they consume, on an aircraft carrier, I found out, they consume a million pounds of food in seven days. That's 5,000 people. And I saw what was unloading on that aircraft carrier. It was good stuff. I mean, there was no lack. So I believe the system of the world is going to feed the military first with all the good stuff before the common people get the good stuff. I have witnessed in this area that I have said, you know, I see the quality of food going downhill. It's, there's nothing like picking a fresh vegetable. There's nothing like picking a fresh fruit. For those that have lived in tropical places, it's nothing like going to a banana plant, cutting a stalk off, and you've got 50 or 60 bananas that are going to get ripe, and you're eating bananas every day, and they're nice and sweet because they were ripened on the vine. So there is a change coming in, and we do have to be prepared. And I just thank God for this program, and I hope all those that have ears to hear, we can gather everything's being said and do the will of the Father. Well, well said. Pastor Michael V., we appreciate that very, very much. You need to be uh, come a little bit more uh, outspoken here on the broadcast. Call in more often if you would. Um, yeah. All right, very, very good. God bless you, Michael. Um, let's take one more call, and i got to run after this and say good morning. God bless you. Area code 605, you're on the air. Oh, thank you. Okay. This good morning. morning. Early on a radio station from South Dakota, this is what the commentator said. In the country of Ukraine, they will not be planting or harvesting any crops this year. And that's heavy wheat there. 
And then also the commentator said this. Now, this is just a South Dakota radio station. Percent all over the United States of America, they are in drought. So the famine has, will come, but this, it started in the land. And I have a quick little story to tell you how in the days past, the pioneers that came in to America. In 1900, my grandma came from Norway. She could not speak the language, nor could she. She was a teacher by trade in Norway, but when she got here, she couldn't do that because of the language barrier. But she worked all day for a farm as a maid as uh, in a farm building place. And at the end of the day, her reward was a grapefruit. It was food. And in the years ahead, then my father was born, you know, in America, but they prospered because of work, and they also prospered because they were God-fearing. Thank you. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you very much, Kathy. All right, folks, that's it for us today. Imagine that, a grapefruit for doing a good job. Food's going to be important. We'll see you again tomorrow. God bless everyone. We've got to run, 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 run until we meet again. I just saw this pop up here. I'm going to do it. I got to do it. I got to get this last word in here. Okay, area code 605-695, you are on the air. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Um, I just want to mention as far as my my garden uh, that I helped take care of. I was the oldest of 10 children. We were raised on roughly one acre's land, and it turns out that we ended up lived off from that. We had chickens, we had rabbits, we had gardens, we have vegetables, we had fruit, and basically uh, fish and wild game. And my dad raised 10 of us on that one acre of land. And so wow. it's capable and possible to do. It's just a matter of knowing how. And we ended up, we we worked as kids, but yet we lived very, very well. Nobody ever went hungry. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. We need to start the broadcast with that tomorrow. All right. Thank you for that insight. Ten people, one acre yeah. of land. you got to love it. My goodness. All right, that's Ken all the way from South Dakota. Folks, i got to roll. I've got an appointment here that i got to get to, and I'll see you tomorrow. And, again, if you would like to give to this ministry, nwmglobal.org, or you can actually send a gift to P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. You say, well, how can I give? i got to get my seeds. Definitely get your seeds. Get your food. Get what you need. If you have extra and you want to share with the ministry, and God puts that in your heart, God bless you, and thank you for doing it. Till we meet again, this is Pastor Vince. Shalom. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Have a great day.